and gentlemen. I'm here to have a little fun. I don't know why you're here. John set me up, but he didn't set me up on the budget. So, uh, he's not paying me very much. And so, if I don't have any fun, it's going to be a lost hour for me. So, I'm going to have fun, and I hope you have a little. You know, it's very interesting to me to uh, be allowed to share with you. Because uh, it's been a long time since I was in a classroom as a student. And I'm, I'm glad to be here. I think that the one thing that we ought to be taught, we never get around to. In my way of thinking, there's only one thing you can't change about your life. You don't have to finish out this class if you don't want to. You don't have to go home. You don't have to stay in Southern California. You don't have to stay in California. You don't have to stay in the United States. You can change everything about your life with one. You're stuck with you. World without end, I'm in. <laughs> It's a hell of a outlook, isn't it? Stuck with you forever. And it would seem that it would be uh, rather uh, one of the first things that they teach us when we come into this world. Uh, how to be friends with ourselves. They teach us everything else but how to be friends with ourselves. To be able to live comfortably, peacefully, and joyously with us. <clears throat> me with me and you with you seems to me to be the pearl of great price. And we never get around to it, it seems like. I didn't get around to it until I was uh, quite a considerably older than anybody in this class, including the professor. <laughs> so, I like to talk about it a little bit. Now, I am uh, one who believes that there's only one problem in life. One problem that includes all problems and one answer that includes all answers. Now, that's oversimplification, isn't it? But that's the way it appears to me. There's one problem that includes all problems and one answer that includes all answers. And the problem is the feeling of conscious separation from. The feeling of conscious separation from. You might say, from what? From everything. Life, good, God, which to me are synonymous terms, from each other, and eventually from ourselves, conscious separation. <clears throat> the feeling of conscious separation from is very likely the best definition of the human ego you'll ever hear. 
I thought it was mine for a long time, but I found it in writings that are supposed to be some 10,000 years older than Jesus. So I had to give up the authorship of that. <laughs> Much to my chagrin, I thought I'd really coined a good definition. The feeling of conscious separation from. Best evidence in the human ego you'll ever hear. Here am I, big me, little me, smart me, dumb me, rich me, poor me, against the whole world. I have to outthink, outperform, and outmaneuver in order to eke out a miserable living out of an unfriendly universe. Conscious separation. All fear, all frustration, all dis-ease, all disease, and all insecurity, I think, because of that one thing. And the only answer, perhaps, that there is to this thing called life is just the reverse of that. A feeling of conscious unity with living in a part of this great thing called life. Unity is the answer and conscious separation is the problem. I was taught when I was being taught that uh, we had to get out here in what they call the salt mine and uh, deliver the goods first and best in order to get along. The very cliches of life, the early bird gets the worm, the devil takes the hindermost. You got to be there firstest with the mostest. Sets us up for a competitive life. A competitive life. That's why they call that thing out there the salt mine or the rat race. Now, they even quote the Bible on that. You have to, to earn your living by the sweat of your brow. You know, earn your bread, it says in the good book. By the sweat of your brow. And so, in order to outthink, outperform, and outmove, maneuver, you have to have good education. And that's what you're getting, good education. So that you can outthink, outperform, and outmaneuver. So, happened to have been born in a family that's too poor to paint and too proud to whitewash. And we had very, very little to start with. And in order to live, you had to get, you had to become something to be known as and to have something. So I went out to uh, get the things I thought I was born without. And I spent my first 30 years doing it according to the formula that I was taught. Not thinking, not performing, and not maneuvering. Being there first, this was the most. The early bird gets the worm, the devil takes the hindermost. And I worked hard. I was never a 
fast buck artist, and I was never a confidence man. I worked hard to get the things I thought I was born without. And ended up at the ripe old age of 43 in the bottom of the snake pit. A failure in every department of life. A failure in every department of life at this ripe old age 43. And I started on a new tack. It was necessary because of the condition that I was in that I do a little rubbing out before death overtook me, which was imminent. I was going to die. And I didn't want to die with the record. So I started out trying to rub out a record. Now, you can't rub out a record thinking, I want, I don't want, I like, I don't like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't make it. The only way you can rub out a record is by doing something for somebody without a price tag on it. So, that's what I started doing. 30, about 29 years ago right now. And that's all I've done since. And what we're talking about this morning is going to be what's happened to me in my own life. It's, it's what has happened in my own life by performing a certain way. And so, in the last 29 years, everything that I beat my brains out to get and ended up without has come into my life. And so I have to start with this premise that somehow or another we've got to be rid of the ego. We've got to be rid of the conscious separation. And in order to make it right simple, it is impossible to satisfy the human ego. It's absolutely impossible. I believe it's divinely impossible to satisfy the human ego. Because, you see, everything's relative. Everything's relative. Now, suppose my obsession had been for uh, liquor. Suppose I had been a drunk, an alcoholic. Uh, in that case, there is not enough liquor on the face of the earth to satisfy the obsession to drink. It's impossible to satisfy an obsession to drink. Because if you be an alcoholic, the more you drink, the more you have to drink. And the time comes when you drink the clock around. And every time you open your eyes, you drink. And it's impossible to satisfy an obsession to drink. Suppose my obsession had been for uh, money. It's impossible to satisfy an obsession for money. I had a client for years from Phoenix, Syrian, who'd gone from one head of cabbage to $35 million. Self-made man. And that's pretty good money, I think. And he was one of the poorest men I ever saw in my life. Because it so happened that he had a partner in one of his business endeavors who had 150 million 
was in the oil business, and this guy had $150 million. And every time the three of us were sitting together in the Jonathan Club, Eddie wanted to crawl under the Davenport. Here he was, with a lousy $35 million, and his partner had $150 million. He was a pauper. And he used to say to me, uh, Charlie, how can I be like you? And I'd say, you can't, Eddie. And he'd say, why? And I'd say, who needs God when he has 35 million bucks? <laughs> you can buy everything you want, including women. And you do. So, uh, go ahead and make yourself 150 million. And you will if you live long enough. You'll find out by that time that it won't do what you have to have done right here. And then you can ask me, Charlie, how can I be like you? And I'll tell you. And you can do it. But until then, there's no use talking about it. And uh, he'd say, well, we're going to talk about it anyway. And we'd ride all over the state of Arizona, yakking about what we're going to be talking about this morning. Eddie, however, didn't make his $150 million because... Uh, he got so many things in his head that it exploded, and we had to bury it. But that's just a little illustration to show that it's impossible to satisfy an obsession for money. Suppose my obsession had been for power, and suppose I'd been elected president of the United States instead of some of the rest of these monkeys that have gotten there. You know, that isn't uh, an objection. Would that have satisfied my obsession for power? No. Because every dictator in the world has more power than our president. Now, suppose my obsession has been for women, as if it weren't. And suppose I'd been the greatest Lothario of all times. And every chick-chick that I took out after I caught but one. Now, at my age, that'd be quite an army, wouldn't it? Would they satisfy me? No, the one I can't get kills me. So, you cannot satisfy the human ego. So, if you can't beat him, join him. You gotta get rid of it. You gotta get rid of it. Now, how are you gonna do that? Well, I don't know, really, uh, because it happened to me in crisis. <clears throat> in crisis, it's not uh, too bad. When there's nothing left to do but to dump yourself, it's pretty easy. But otherwise, I think that the thing we have to do is to... Uh, meditate on what it would be like if what we talk about this morning were true, and then act as if it were true, and prove it for yourself. I'm totally convinced that you can live yourself into right action, but you can't think yourself into right living. You can live yourself into right thinking, but you can't think yourself into right living. I'm totally convinced of this. So, to be rid of the one roadblock, I think, 
the one roadblock between me and you and me and God, the human ego, is a primary uh, requisite for freedom in this thing called life. And I'm convinced that it's the only roadblock there is between us as individuals and between me and my own God. Now, in order to explain this a little bit, I have to give you a little idea of what I think, of who I think you are. And this is uh, a lot of fun for me because it's a little bit different than uh, we usually think about. I'm convinced that every one of you, everybody in this class this morning, is a total, complete, going concern within themselves. A total, complete, going concern within yourself. Not because you're so hot, because you're not. But because of the implication in the first two words of the Lord's Prayer. You remember in the good book, and I wouldn't care whether it was that prayer or another one because they're all alike. And I don't care whether you'd call it God or Buddha or whatever. It don't make any difference there either. Whatever this great thing is. But whatever this great thing is, you are. Because the first two words of the Lord's Prayer say, say it like this, Our Father. They said to the carpenter, Master, teach us to pray. And he said, After this manner, pray ye, Our Father. Now, ours mean his Father, your Father, and mine. Doesn't it? If it's ours, it's his Father, your Father, and mine. And I believe this is true. I believe there's only one life with many faces, one mind common to all men. I don't think you have a life of your own. And I don't think you have a mind of your own. So your opinion of your IQ is a little bit... Uh, <laughs> supposing you're... You know, you don't want to like to give up if, if you happen to have, a, say, a 200. You don't want to give that up. But I don't think that we have a mind of our own, and I don't think we have a life of our own. I think there's one life with many faces, one mind common to all men. And you and I have our identity in it. We have our identity in life. We're individualized centers of God consciousness. God is life, says the good book. And you and I are alive. So I think God is that which I am and God is that which you are. And if I don't run out of time, I'm going to tell you why I think it. <clears throat> if it be true, it's the greatest thing that could happen to anybody. I mean, this is fantastic. What we're talking about is fantastic, and it's true. And in my way of thinking, anybody that will attempt to prove it can prove it to himself. Because it so happens that there's a, there's a way to prove it. And that's by motivation and action. Motivation and action. 
which we'll talk about a little bit before we get through two. Now, this is not only fantastic, but it's fantastic. You can't get too serious about it, you can't do it. That's the reason I'm having fun here, because uh, if you're too serious about it, uh, it won't happen. For instance, I looked for God for 30 years. In all the great religions and all the great philosophers of the world, I went through the whole bunch of them, trying to find God, and I couldn't find him. And I quit looking for him, and we found each other, because I got lost with his kids, trying to help his kids, and woke up to the fact that I was never alone anymore. That conscious separation was gone. I got him a very, a very own, and wherever I am, he is. Now, this is the thing we're talking about. This is why I'm here this morning. Because if you ever get the feel of this, it revolutionizes everything. God the Father, I, his kid. I have to be. If, if God's my father, I'm his kid. Now, I'm pretty sure that he's always known that. I don't think that he's ever been confused. But I didn't know it. I had to discover it for myself. And being the kind of a guy I am, I had to discover it the way I had to discover it, in my own way, in my own time, because I was one of these kind of guys that didn't like authority. They said, do this. I said, why? And they said, well, it's written right here. And I said, who wrote it? <laughs> you know? So, I had to learn my own way in my own time. And it took what it took in order to find out. Now, just for fun, 20... Eight years, nine years, nine months ago, this, this was my condition. My good wife was divorcing me after 20 years. Our children wouldn't even come home when I was around if they could help it. My boss had sent word to the house that if I ever stepped foot in the plant again, he was going to throw me through the window. And the window to which he referred don't open. <laughs> No health, no sanity, no home, no job, no nothing. And at that very second, the universe was mine. That very second, the universe was mine. God was mine and all that he had was mine. And he knew it, but I didn't. I had to discover it. And being the kind of a guy I am, again, I had to discover it in my own way in my own time. So, uh, I set about, as I told you, trying to rub out a record and discovered these things for myself. And what I'm telling you is out of my own life. For instance, in my my uh, foul up 
in my first 30 years in the business world and in alone in life, my first foul up uh, was that I was trying to get what I thought I was born without. And when I started to try to rub out a record, I started trying to add to life. And the worst follow-up was home, and the next one was business. And there's where I had to do my uh, first job at home in business. Trying to rub out a record, you know. And particularly in business, this was uh, a rather new approach because uh, people don't realize, really, that uh, business is just like life. Uh, it's adding to and not taking from. So, I started trying to do that. And I kept it up. When I found out that uh, that it was working, I still kept it up. And I kept it up until I sold the business in 1970, I guess it was. I sold out 71, maybe. And in that short time, 25 years, everything that I tried my best to get, I beat my brains out to get, came into my life. So if every authority on earth said this was a getting life, I'd laugh out loud. There never was a getting life. It has forever been a giving life, and the more you pour in without a price tag on it, the more you have. And the only way to know it is to do it and find out. For instance, it's such a new concept or a different concept in the way the business is done that people sat across the desk from me for years and told me that I was a damn liar. That business could not be done the way I was doing it. And of course, I didn't even, it didn't even upset me because I knew what I was doing and I knew what was happening. And so I just kept doing it. And the whole time, people were saying to me, you can't, uh, business cannot be done this way. And after a while, they were coming to me to find out how I did it. <laughs> because it so happened that uh, they couldn't even bid against me uh, for jobs that we were both on. Because people told him, he says, uh, Charlie's going to do this. Charlie's going to put this in. And they'd say, well, how do you know he's not robbing you? He says, we know it. Well, don't you want us to bid just the same and see how you're doing? And they'd say, no, it takes money to bid. And you better spend your time someplace else because Charlie's going to put this in. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about helping people do things that they need to have done because you want to. In every department of life, business included. Now, what about home? I never uh, 
attempted to change my wife's mind or the children's mind. I never spent five seconds trying to change it. I had accepted the fact that they were gone and should be gone and I wasn't entitled to have them back. But in just attempting to add to their lives, they decided that they wanted to go with me and so the family was put back together. Now, I had no health at that time. My health was gone. And I never went to doctor. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not afraid. I'm not opposed to doctors. Doctors are good. But I never went to doctor. And over a period of about three and a half years, uh, I got well, physically. And so, the, the whole tenor of life changed. Everybody changed. And I discovered that during the very time when I thought the world had gone black, that uh, the universe was mine. Now, it's my theory, and again, you can prove it by doing it, and that's the only way you'll ever know it, because what I say don't make any difference unless you prove it for yourself. Intellectual knowledge can only be converted into wisdom by action. That's the only way you can convert it. You've got to prove it by doing it. And uh, the knowledge, the more you know and the less you do about it, the more trouble you're in. So, it has to be proven. Now, it's written like this. Act as though I am and I will be. So we act like his kids and prove that we are. And it's a fantastic thing. Because it proves out in the quality and, and nature of life itself. Now, the problem is conscious separation. The answer is conscious unity. And when the ego is not there, when that conscious separation is gone, there is no uh, roadblock. For instance, I got a big window in my living room, great big window, and it has a drape over it. And when there's nothing over the window, the light comes through. But the window isn't the light. I look at that as being me, that it acts just like me. When there's no obstruction, the light comes through the window. But the window is not the light. And when the drapes closed, the light don't come through. But just as the window isn't the light, the drape isn't the darkness. So it's my business to keep the, the drape open and let the light shine. And that's your business and mine in this thing called light. The only thing you can do with life is live it. That's the only thing you can do with it. There's no other thing that you can do with it at all. Being is the thing. And now is the only time you have. Right now. So, to, to say it in a few words, 
The only thing you can do with life is live it. The only, the only reason for it is the joy of it. The only time we have is now. And it's not for my glory, but for the glory of life itself, or the glory of the Father, if you want to say it that way. And that's it. Now, I like to, I like to say the thing sort of this way. You're either God's kid or you ain't. If you ain't, nothing can is you, and if you is, nothing can ain't you. In other words, you can't change the reality of your own being. You can't change the reality of your own being. You can only change your experience in reality. For instance, I sit in the same chair right now that I sat in for ten years in hell. And I've been in it now, same chair, for 28 years in heaven. Now, nothing happened to the chair, nothing happened to the living room, nothing happened to the wife, nothing happened to the kids. Something happened to me. And therefore, I have to believe that heaven was always in that chair. I was in hell. So we can change our experience, but we can't change the reality of our own being. And that's the beauty of this thing. That's the wonder of it. You can't. Change the reality of your own being. The carpenter said it like this, who by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature. And perhaps that's the only predestination that there is. You can't change the reality of your own being, but you can only change your experience in reality. And to be able to live comfortably, peacefully, and joyously with yourself, I think should be the main objective in life. Everything else is salutary. It, uh, it adds and subtracts. But if we can and do operate so that we can live comfortably, peacefully, and joyously with ourselves, we haven't the slightest problem living with the world. I tried to make the world over for 30 years so it'd be a fit place for me to live in. And I got news for you, it ain't ready. It ain't ready. So when I discovered a way to live comfortably, peacefully, and joyously with myself, it's no longer necessary for me to make the world over. It's no longer necessary. And I don't have a bit of trouble living in the world. I don't have a bit of trouble because I'm at peace with myself. And it's a, it's a matter of changing the attitude and the effort. A little shift in attitude from getting to adding to makes all the difference in the world. Because the thing proves out within itself. You don't have to prove it. It proves itself. So, again, I say to you that your total, complete, knowing concerns within yourself. Every bit of this performance that I'm talking about is an inside job. It's an inside job. To get rid of the they is one of the greatest things in life. To get rid of the they, the, you know, they caused me to do this or that or the other thing, or circumstances or conditions. We 
find that her own peace of mind and serenity of purpose cannot depend on any person, place, thing, circumstance, or condition outside herself. It depends only on our own relationship to our very own God, and it's an inside job. It's an inside job. We uncover and discover the thing we've been looking for all our life, in my opinion. And again, it can be proven. It can be proven. Now, the, the greatest, the one great key to this thing called life is rigorous self-honesty. Rigorous self-honesty is the golden key to this thing called life. Probably the most powerful thing on earth. More powerful than the atom bomb or the hydrogen bomb is a simple, unadulterated truth. The thing we're most afraid of. The truth. The most powerful thing in the world. And rigorous self-honesty is the golden key. Why? Because we have a monitor with us. Every one of us. We have a monitor with us. It's right here. We didn't put it there and we can't take it away. It's there. Now, when I perform according to the pattern, and the pattern's right here. When I perform according to that pattern, there seems to be a nod of approval from the universe, and they call that peace of mind. When I perform less than my best, the old sausage grinder's in the same place, and it starts working on me, and it says, oh, why'd you do it, why'd you do it, why'd you do it? And the only possibility for me to get rid of that is to see, see it for what it is, decide to do better, and with the grace of God, do better. And it goes away. And so it, the whole business is an inside job. When there's anything wrong with me, I cannot say it's God's fault or the devil's fault or my wife's fault, or my children's fault, or circumstances, conditions, or you. There's no way that I can point the finger at anybody. When there's anything wrong with me, I come to myself. And I see what I've allowed to get important enough to get between me and my program and my God. And this is an inside job. And eliminate it, whatever it is. And I'm back in the king row again. So, again and again and again. Meditation and action to dream up what it would be like if it is true that we are our father's children. To dream up what it would be like if that were true and then act like it. Like it's true and prove it. Act as though I am and I will be, says the Lord. And prove it in your own life. And it's a fun deal. In order to do it at all, you have to uh, develop and maintain a good-natured flexibility with yourself. Again and again and again. It can't be done too seriously. you got to have fun out of it. So you you make a game out of this thing called life, and that's all it is, play a life upon itself.
hand to make a game out of it. And you, you have fun doing it. For instance, I have more fun with uh, my own God than I do with people. And I have a lot of fun with people, too. But I have a lot of fun with God because I talk with him about everything. I share everything in life, the good, the bad, and the indifferent, and I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of him, and I don't think he's afraid of me. <laughs> now, this is not a sermon. This is life. We're talking about life. So, I share everything, the good, bad, the different. If I do a lousy stunt, I say, look, Dad, isn't this a hell of a thing for a guy like me to do? Now, I knew better when I did it. But, I had to make an impression. And I don't like it. And you don't like it. And I'm going to do better. And with your help, I'll do a lot better. Sure, thank you. And I dump it and never pick it up again. And the good thing that happens, I do the same thing with. I say, look, Father, isn't this beautiful? Five minutes. Isn't this beautiful? It couldn't happen to a bum like me, but it did. And I know where it came from. And I sure thank you. And they dump that and never pick it up again. Because we're supposed to live spontaneously. Now lastly, and I've only got five minutes to say this, and it takes about five weeks. Uh, maybe there isn't any such thing as time. Maybe time's just a measure of an event. Maybe now's the only time we have. Maybe one of the greatest things that I believe in my own life, the second greatest thing I ever learned, was today is my day. I have no past or no future. To live in 24-hour uh, compartments. This is my day. I have no past or no future. To give yourself completely life today. Do the thing you're supposed to do today and have fun doing it. And uh, the funny part of it is, the next thing you know, uh, your entire life has changed. The whole thing has changed. And the higher you walk, the farther you can see and the better the view. Closing, this is my last little thing. Uh, I don't want to quit because I haven't gotten started yet. But... I sit up there on the hill above Laguna, about a thousand feet above the water. And I look down on that beautiful little old town and the ocean, everything God ever created right in front of me. And uh, I like to look at it and think about it. For instance, at the water level, they're sitting on a boat at the water level, the horizon seven miles. That's as far as you can see on a clear day. I'm up about a thousand feet. And on a clear day, my horizon is some 150 miles. Just that little bit of elevation changes the horizon from 7 to 150 miles. And we're going to be walking up this ladder of life forever, world without end, amen. Always as much ahead of us as there is right now. And the higher we walk, the farther we can see and the better is the view. And it's forever. 
world without end. Amen. I've enjoyed being here. You're, uh, you're easy to talk with. But, uh, somehow or another, I, uh, I keep wondering if, uh, we're on the same wavelength. <laughs> because this is not a very, uh, popular subject to talk about. <clears throat> but it's the most popular that I can think of because it's my life. This is my life, my love, and my dedication. And such, such as it is, you can have it. That's all. Thanks, Jack.